0: Welcome, everyone, back to another episode of American West History and Lore. I am still your host, Paul Workman, and I'm glad to be back with you guys once again. I hope that everyone's spring breaks have been good so far, and perhaps maybe some of you have been able to do a little exploration of the American West yourselves uh, during the break, and you know what? If you have, we'd all love to hear about your adventures, so if you feel so inclined Shoot me an email at thepkworkman at gmail.com detailing your excursions and maybe we'll just make a whole episode episode out of your stories. And, you know, if we get enough submissions or maybe uh, feature one every episode or something like that. Uh, I was actually able to do a little American West exploring this past weekend or this past spring break. My wife and my kids and myself decided to load up the camper and head south a ways to escape the spring chill that still exists here in northeastern Utah and we went to check out Moab. Now, our initial goal was to visit Dead Horse Point State Park and possibly Arches National Park and Canyonlands National Park. But that didn't quite happen. Moab is just so crazy busy during Easter weekend. They've got all these Jeep tournaments or something, you know, Jeep climbing uh excursions that they do. Um, but anyway, there wasn't any camping space available. So after driving around for quite some time, we had two options and those were head home or try to find another available camping space. Um, you know, that wasn't freezing because once you start heading back up North, it's just going to get a little bit more cold. Uh, we ended up stopping in green river, Utah and set up camp at the green river state park campground. And this turned out really nice, actually. And the, the next day, we were able to drive to Goblin Valley State Park, um, which was only about fifty a 50-minute 50 drive from Green River. So even though our trek started out a little rocky, it ended up being amazing, especially because Goblin Valley is one of those areas I've wanted to see for a long time now and just have never taken the time to go down there and see it. So while we're on the topic of Goblin Valley... Uh, We just as well talk about it for a minute, uh, because it's a pretty spectacular place, and I would encourage you to go check it out uh, if you're ever in the area. There's a lot to see there. In fact, we didn't even get to see the whole park. You could probably spend two or three full days there and be seeing new sights the whole time. Anywho, Goblin Valley is a geologic wonder, and it is a wonderful sight to behold. A lot of people compare it to what Mars may look like on its surface with its red sandstone structures. Now, the history of Goblin Valley's creation is geologic history. And I'm no geologist, so I'm going to let the experts do the teaching. Uh, The quote I'm going to read is from The Geology of Goblin Valley State Park by Mark Milligan. And it's in his introductory statement. And it says, quote, The wonderfully grotesque stone sculptures that are Goblin Valley State Park's main attraction are the consequence of millions of years of geologic history. Within the park are rocks composed of sediments from ancient seas, shorelines, river channels, and playas. With the passage of time, these layers of sand, silt, and clay become deeply buried and transformed to rock. Much later, large-scale tectonic forces uplifted the area and prompted erosion to begin to expose the deeply buried layers of rock. Once the rocks were back on the surface, fractures and variations in hardness within the rocks facilitated carving of the goblins by the erosional power of water, wind, and frost. End quote. That's just nature doing its thing. Now, skip ahead a few million years to the more recent past. Cowboys were searching for stray cattle in the area, when they came upon the Martian-looking landscape, and then in the 1920s, a man by the name of Arthur Chafin, who operated the Hite Ferry, and two other people were out searching for a different route between Green River, the Green River and Caneville uh, when they came upon this spectacular site. It wasn't until 1949 that Chafin returned to the area, which he initially called Mushroom Valley. Uh, word, word eventually spread about the newly discovered valley, and in 1964, the site officially became a state park. So there you have it. That's what I was lucky enough to explore for my spring break, and my vote is yes. You guys should definitely go check it out. So one other thing on the topic of Goblin Valley. It's very picturesque, and I was able to snag quite a few great shots and photos of the area. And now I do want to do a print giveaway. Now, if you follow the Facebook page, you already know about the print giveaway, and uh, it's with a rustic frame, you know, so and it looks pretty cool if I do say so myself. So if you want to win a 5x7 print framed, it's simple. All you have to do is go to the American West History and Lore Facebook page, like the page first of all, like the post, and then share the post, and you'll be entered to win. So... Anyway, stay tuned as well, because soon I will hopefully be launching an American West History and Lore store where we will have some of these prints, you know, pictures that I take along my journeys, Um, rustic decor, other, you know, who, who knows? It's all up in the air. Hopefully, my goal, too, is to have some nice coffee mugs and some hats eventually. So with your guys' support and your help, we can hopefully make that happen in the near future. So on our way back from Green River, we took U.S. Route 6, just north of Helper, Utah. Uh, we turned east onto U.S. 191 to an area which is known as Castlegate. Now, I've driven through this area many times for work and for baseball tournaments for my kids in Price, Utah. And I was aware that there was a cemetery in the area just off the main road. But to be honest, I've never really researched the area And, you know, of the cemetery and who was buried there and the majority of the dates and so on. Now, usually folks, including myself, will pull off to stretch their legs in this area or simply just take a break from driving. Well, that's what we did. And as we explored a little bit of the surrounding area of the cemetery, my wife said, hey, here's an old mine. Uh, The mine entrance is cement with an engraved header that reads number two, mine 1912. And it is gated off with what looks like iron bars, which, of course, and and which, of course, with a sign that says unauthorized persons keep out. Now, naturally, seeing something like this sparked my interest in the history of the mine and the area. And who better to share that history with than you guys? So here we go. The history of Castlegate Mine Number 2. Castlegate, Utah, was your typical single-industry-driven town back in the late 1800s and early 1900s. The coal industry, to be exact. Folks may know the name Castlegate from the infamous Castlegate robbery, historical event in which Butch Cassidy, Elsie Lay, and others, allegedly, held up an employee of the Pleasant Valley Coal Company and robbed it of approximately $8,000. But Castlegate is also known for something much more dark and depressing. The morning of March 8, 1924 started out, I'm sure, like any other morning for a typical coal miner. The night shift had finished up, and the day shift was about to get started. The miners had been working for about an hour, and at approximately 7.30 a.m., an explosion swept through the tunnels of Mine number 2. The explosion was heard by many of Castlegate's residents, and help was on its way as quick as it could be. The rescue efforts to save the miners were valiant, but to no avail, none of them could be saved. 171 miners and one rescue person lost their lives that day in 1924. Many children lost their fathers. Many wives lost their husbands. The big question is, what caused the explosion? You see, back in those days, miners would use carbide headlamps. A carbide lamp produces a clean white light when water and Water and calcium carbide react with each other. The disaster was partly attributed to the night shift not properly watering down the coal dust at the end of their shift, and partly attributed to gas near the roof of the mine tunnel. One of the mine bosses went to investigate the gas, and his carbide lamp went out. He went to reignite it, and as he did so, the flame also ignited the gas and the unsettled coal dust, causing the enclosed mine to explode. Rescue workers did find all of the miners' bodies. However, it took nine days to do so. Now, even though these tragedies happen, life still happens, even for the widows and children of the miners. How were they to survive now that their breadwinner was gone? Thankfully, even though it may not have been much, in 1917, the state of Utah had created a workers' compensation fund to help families in need. In this case, families of the victims received up to $15 per week for six years. A welfare worker by the name of Annie D. Palmer was paid by the state to help the families for 12 years after the disaster. Castlegate today is considered a ghost town and not much remains. The Castlegate Cemetery is the final resting place of many of the parish miners and serves as a somber memorial to the fact that life is fragile and that life is precious. thanks for listening to this episode of american west history and lore check out mysteryandhistory.blogspot.com for show notes and references to this episode we would also love it if you would leave us a kind rating and review on itunes or whatever platform you listen to podcasts on have any questions or comments for us feel free to email us at thepkworkman at gmail.com thanks again folks and we'll catch you next time